<laughs> oh, I, uh, I love that scene in that movie. Um, I am really glad that when I got married, that my wife Peg didn't run away. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. I uh, mentioned that to her this week, that I was thankful that she didn't run away. She informed me there have been several times since we've been married that she has wished she did run away. And I suppose, if we're honest, every one of us who is married has probably had that thought at one time or another, although I tried to convince her this week that that thought has never crossed my mind. And she didn't buy it either. Well, uh, do you remember uh, back to your wedding day? Here's a, a picture of us on our wedding day. Yeah, I was skinny and a nerd, wasn't I? My boys say only one of those things has changed. I'm not skinny anymore. Uh, you probably do remember back to your wedding day. And, and I've probably performed as a, as a pastor uh, 50, 75, maybe more weddings. And at the end of every one of them, it goes something like this. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may seal your vows with a really good kiss. And you know what? At that moment, everything seems perfect doesn't it? But then you add in a few kids, you throw in some in-laws, you add in some financial struggles, you throw in the humdrum of life and what seems so perfect all of a sudden isn't as easy and doesn't seem so certain, does it? If I were to give you a scale this morning, on one side I were to say, you know, it's it's absolutely perfect like if we're still on a honeymoon on one side, and on the other side of the scale, we put just hanging by a thread, where would you place your marriage on that scale? Right here in this room this morning, I can guarantee you there are marriages that are all over the spectrum of that scale. Do you realize this morning that marriage matters to God? Marriage, for those who are married is one of, if not the most important relationship we will ever have here on earth. Ninety-four percent of us will be married sometime during our lifetime. Seventy-five percent of those who, are, who get a divorce within two years will remarry. Marriage is pivotal to the foundation of the family, isn't it? Our children's very future depends on the health of our marriage relationship. A good marriage can have incredible influence on our neighbors, our community, even our nation. There is a lot at stake when it comes to marriages. And that's why I want to spend a few minutes and a few weeks talking about the value of marriage and some things that we can do, some investments that we can make to have a healthy and vibrant marriage. The kind of marriage that I think God desires for each of us to have. Now today I want to begin by looking at a passage in the Bible that may be familiar to you if you've been around church for a while. It's usually the passage that we look at when it comes to marriage. But I want to come at it from a couple of different angles today. But this passage and the things that we're going to talk about today, I hope kind of lay the foundation for where we're headed. And then uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll try to deal with some very practical things. And so if you, want to, if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did today, I hope you always will bring your Bible to Crosspoint. And open that up this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you're thumbing through the New Testament of your Bible and you get to First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, one more book and you'll find Ephesians. And then uh, if you get to Philippians and Colossians, you've gone too far. Now a couple of, uh, of warnings or uh, disclaimers as we get started. First of all, 
I, I want to be really clear. My wife and I, Peg and I, have a great marriage. And I love her with all of my heart, but it is not by any means perfect. And as much as you're looking forward to these next few weeks, I hope, we've been looking forward to it because as I study and then she gets to hear me talk, um, it's good for us because we need these reminders and these uh, tune-ups in our marriage as well. Second disclaimer, there is so much stuff I would like to be able to cover over the course of these few weeks that we're going to spend on this. There's no way I can touch on everything. And so I hope I touch on the issues that are helpful to you. We've tried to supplement what we're doing here on Sunday mornings with a couple of things. And Shelly mentioned one of those things. There are a whole bunch of our life groups who are going to be doing a study that sort of uh, coincides or or supplements what we're talking about here. And if you're not in a life group, I'd encourage you to, to go out this morning and find out if there's a a group that works for you and get plugged in so that you get that additional material that would help you in your marriage. And then I'm going to suggest a couple of other things this morning that you might do to kind of go along with what we're going to be studying. I want you to think about this. You know, if if I were to light a fire, if I were to light this on fire, and I'm not, by the way, um, for one reason, it's not our building, but um, if I were to light this fire on... To, to light a fire here. And you know, you build a fire and you put the logs there and you, you put some kindling and something to kind of ignite the fire and you light it. And at first, it, it just after a few minutes, it burns so brightly, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of impressive how big the fire can be in a short period of time. And, and if you like fires, I guess in a sort of way, it's sort of beautiful, isn't it? But you know what? That initial fire isn't the best fire, is it? It's not the best fire for warming you. It's not the best fire for cooking on, isn't it? The longer the fire burns, as long as you keep adding fuel to it, it's after it's burnt for a little while that you get those really hot coals and embers down in the center. And when you get to that point, that's when that fire is really good for trying to cook on. Or that's when it's really good to, if you're up north like people today where it's in sub-zero, you know, you could get around that fire and it'd warm you up. Some of you are thinking as cold as it is in this room, why don't you go ahead and light that fire and we'll all gather around it, huh? But you know, it's after the fire burns for a while that it's at its best. When a bride and a groom stand in front of a minister or whoever and they're declared husband and wife, the beginning of their marriage may look beautiful and seem impressive, but a lot of us have grown to experience that the best part of marriage really comes a little ways down the road, doesn't it? It's beyond the moment of I do that the best in marriage really ought to happen. And so today I want to suggest and point out three logs that I think Paul writes about in this passage in the Bible that if we'll keep putting these three logs on the fire, if we'll keep these three logs as fuel for the fire, our marriage will be at its best, not on the day that I say I do, but our marriage can be at its best beyond those days as the fire continues to burn. So the first log that I see that Paul says we ought to put on the marriage fire is the log of mutual submission. The log of mutual submission. There was a guy one day who was bragging to a friend of his. He said, at my house, I always get the last word. His friend said, oh really? You always get the last word? The guy said, yes I do. I always get the last word. Yes dear. Here's what Paul has to say about mutual submission. Now, this is a passage of Scripture that we look at a lot of times, and usually when somebody reads this passage of Scripture, they start in verse 22. And a lot of times we do that because, you know, when Paul first wrote this letter, he he didn't write it with chapter numbers and verses and paragraph headings. He just wrote a letter. 
And then years later, somebody went back in and they kind of split it up and decided, well, this maybe is the beginning of sort of a new thought, so we'll stick this heading in here. And probably in your Bible, you might have a heading there that says wives and husbands. And then we start reading at verse 22. But I wonder if Paul didn't intend us to also read verse 21. If it is not also connected to the same line of thinking that Paul follows here. And here's what he says in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that has lots of applications. Obviously, Paul is talking to all Christ followers and he says we ought to submit to one another. We're going to talk in a minute about what submission means and it's not what we usually say that it means. But it would also have application for us in a marriage relationship that we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he says this in verse 22, and this is usually where we start reading, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, it's interesting, if you go back and study the very original language that the Bible is written in, if you study the Greek language, the word submit is not actually in verse 22. Now, grammatically, it is definitely implied that that's what he means in verse 22, but that word isn't actually there. Now, definitely this passage, let me just say this as a side note, there is no doubt that this passage teaches a a leader role for the husband. But the way we often have viewed that leader role in the home, we we have misinterpreted that. Paul definitely talks about it. We don't have time to delve into this today, but just as a side note, Paul definitely talks about a leader role for the husband, but this leader role has far more to do with accountability and responsibility to God for the spiritual leadership of the home than it does than it does any kind of authority or, or demand for respect or any of those kinds of things. This leader role that God talks about here has far more to do with someday as husbands, a husband, I will stand before God and I will be accountable to Him for whether or not I gave spiritual leadership to my home. Okay? Now, set that aside. Here's the thing I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea of mutual submission. That's part of what I think Paul was writing about here. First of all, we understand what, the, what mutual submission is. Let's talk about the word submission. The word submission there actually means putting or giving way to someone else. It's the idea of yielding yourself to someone else. It's about putting someone else first. It's about thinking of them before you think of yourself. The ultimate example? Jesus Christ. He demonstrated submission over and over again. He demonstrated submission during the first 30 years of His life here on earth by submitting to God coming to earth as a baby, growing to be a man, spending time in a little town in nowhere called Nazareth, being a carpenter. Then Jesus submitted or demonstrated submission to other people by meeting the needs of people. He, he touched wet leprosy and healed people. He brought healing to broken minds and broken hearts and sick souls. Jesus ultimately de- demonstrated submission on a night that He was arrested. He met with... Uh, his closest followers in, a, in an upper room of a house and they had dinner together. And then when dinner was over, Jesus demonstrated, I'll put you first by getting up from the table, stripping down to the waist, putting a towel on, taking a, a basin of water and washing the feet of the men in that room. And then Jesus ultimately demonstrated submission when He went to the cross to die to pay for our sins. Stuff that you and I have done wrong, He died to pay for that. That's submission. Submission is all about putting the needs of the other person first. 
It's about serving others. And in the relationship of the marriage, mutual submission is the idea of, can I serve my spouse? Will I put them first? Let me give you a little mutual submission quiz and see how you're doing here. Because if you're honest with yourself and really begin to think about it, am I really mutually submitting? Am I putting them first? I wonder how you're doing. Now, here's some things I thought of. Number one, uh, imagine this. Imagine that you went into the bathroom all by yourself and laying out there on the counter or the towel rack were two freshly cleaned towels. One of them is big and fluffy and very absorbent. The other is an old rag that probably should have been thrown out three weeks ago. Which towel do you pick up? Here's another one. Actually, guys, I've got to see them because I can't remember the order, so we'll go ahead and roll that next one for me. Yeah, go into the kitchen, and um, you're, all, you're there all by yourself. There's one serving, one piece of, your, of a wonderful dessert that's left. Do you eat it, or do you think, I'll leave that for my spouse? Next one. Do you ever, without being asked, just think, you know, that's usually a chore that my spouse does around the house, but I'll go ahead and do it. Maybe it's emptying the dishwasher. That's something at our house. Very seldom, if I'm really transparent here, so that's something Peg usually does. And very seldom do I think, you know, I ought to just go ahead and empty the dishwasher. What I usually do is open it up, realize, oh, those are clean dishes. Shut it back up and put my dirty dishes in the sink. Just wanted to take me right off the pendulum, if any, I mean, off the, you know. I want you to be the real me. Let me see the next one, guys. Yeah, would you, think about this, would you, would it ever just come to your mind to give up something that you love to do one night so that you could go and do something that your spouse loves to do? How often does it just naturally come to your mind for you to do that? Here's another one. When you go into the bathroom and the toilet paper's getting down to the end, do you ever think, I'll use just enough so that there's a little bit left on there. That way I don't have to go to, you know, the extreme trouble that it is to change the toilet paper roll, knowing that when my spouse comes in the next time, they'll take care of it. One more. Do you ever drive the car and the gas tank is getting towards empty and you think, I can make it home. I'll just park the car because I know that the next time they take it, they'll put gas in it for me. How'd you do? Now, maybe some of you are thinking, you know, now that I think about it, my spouse is not very mutually submissive to me. In fact, they're downright selfish. Man, I hope they're listening. I sure hope you can change them, Jeff. Listen to what Jesus would have to say about that. Jesus was speaking one day and He said this, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye or your husband's eye or your wife's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck 
in your friend's eye, or the speck in your husband's eye, or the speck in your wife's eye. Our first tendency when it comes to trying to improve our marriage sometimes is to think, well, if my spouse will just shape up, everything will be better. If they would just change their ways, everything will get better. I think Jesus would teach us that when it comes to improving any relationship, it begins with me. And if I want my marriage to be about serving the other person, about being mutually submissive, if I want that log to be on the fire of our marriage, it starts with you. It starts with you deciding from this moment on, I'm going to do everything I can to serve my spouse. I'm going to put their needs ahead of my needs. I'm going to put them first. You begin to live that out this week? See what a change doesn't happen in your house just by you serving the other person. There's a second log that I think Paul says we ought to put on the fire of our marriage, and that is real love. A girlfriend sent this note to her ex-boyfriend A girl, I'm sorry, sent this note to her ex-boyfriend. She said, Dear Jimmy, words cannot express the sadness that I have felt since I broke off our engagement. I wish that somehow you would find it in your heart to forgive me. You're the only one that I can ever love. I will always love you forever. Love, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. I don't think that's the love Paul had in mind. Listen to what he says, verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And that is an incredible love because Jesus loved the church so much that He was willing to die for it and gave Himself up for her. Then he says this in verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And then later in another letter that Paul writes that's also in the New Testament of the Bible, Paul said this. He said, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands. So I have this question. Why would a husband have to be commanded to love his wife? And why does a wife have to be trained to love her husband? Isn't that what marriage is all about to begin with? Isn't that why we got married in the first place? Could it be that the love we had when we first got married isn't really love? Or at least, it's only a part of the picture? Could it be that the kind of love that Paul talks about isn't a love that so much happens on the wedding day, but is a love that comes after I say I do. I want to read for you this morning a description of love. The kind of love that I think would make for a healthy marriage. Now, I want you to notice some characteristics about this description that I'm going to read. For one thing, notice that every characteristic that's mentioned here is directed toward the one who is being loved. Secondly, I want you to notice that every one of these qualities has nothing to do with warm feelings. You can sing, I've lost that love and feeling. But this kind of love that I'm going to read about has nothing to do with feelings. 
In fact, the third thing I want you to notice is that every one of these qualities have to do with choices that we make about behavior and attitude. And yes, this description comes right from the Bible. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Or it could be translated, love suffers long. Love is for the long haul. I, uh, I heard about the little boys playing in the backyard, Matthew, and Matthew, Matthew's grandma was in the kitchen and she heard him yell out the word hell. And she was shocked and she rushed out to the backyard and she said, Matthew, we don't say that word at your house. Where did you hear such a word? Matthew said, well, our pastor at church said it. She couldn't believe it. She said, when did you hear him say that word? Matthew said, remember at the wedding the other day, he said, in sickness and in hell. Hopefully it's not that bad. Okay? Love is patient. It endures. It suffers long. It's committed to the long haul. Love is kind. You know, have, have you lost the kindness in your relationship? When was, guys, when was the last time you sent flowers to your wife? When was the last time you, you sat down and wrote your spouse a love note? I know, you know, we used to do that in high school or whatever, but... When was the last time you just sat down and, and wrote him a note that says, here's why I love you? We're usually a lot better at writing that stuff down than we are trying to verbalize it. Have you lost the being courteous in your marriage? Guys, you still open the door for your wife? Do you, you know, get out of the car? Do you go back to the car? Do you open the car door for her? Let her in? Shut the car door? I've been trying to do that a little more lately, even before I knew we were going to do this series. Although there have been a few things the last few weeks that I've been trying to do because I was knew we were doing this series, but it's one of the advantages of being me. I get to anticipate, so I'm not nearly as in much trouble as some of you will be today. Here's what else Paul says. It does not envy. doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It's not all about me. You know, pride is one of those things, if it's always about you, if all you ever talk about is me, 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 and my feelings, and this is how it, this is what it's doing to me, if it's always about you, it's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong thinking. It's pointing in the wrong direction. It is not rude. You know what? If we were on our way to a business meeting with a client and we're going to be a few minutes late, what would we do? Almost every one of us now, we'd think, oh, I'd better call him on my cell phone tell him I'm going to be a few minutes late. Do we show that same kind of respect to our spouse? Or do we treat them with rudeness? I don't know why it is, but sometimes the people we say that we love the most, we treat them the most rudely at times. It is not self-seeking. It's not all about me. It is not easily angered. It doesn't display its temper at your spouse. It controls your anger. Not that it holds in all the emotions, it expresses them in appropriate ways at appropriate times, but it doesn't lash out in anger. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not historical. You know, when your spouse does something wrong today, you don't bring up the six things that they did five years ago that you've never let go of and never really forgiven them for. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. 
It doesn't always immediately if something happens, your first thought isn't, oh, I wonder if my spouse did this. I have to tell you a story from our family. I'll tell on myself a little bit. Uh, several weeks ago, we were pulling out some suitcases because we were going to take our trip over Christmas. And so we pulled out one of our suitcases that we hadn't used probably for, I guess, a year, we decided. And uh, I was just opened it up and was going through all the pockets, and I found a pair of men's underwear in the suitcase. It was not my underwear. And I'll be honest, my first thought was, where did this come from? Where's Peg been with this suitcase? The story actually is that we let some friends borrow it like a year ago. And, you know, when they unpacked, they had missed that one pair of underwear. And I, you know, very quickly realized, oh, that's what it is. But honestly, you know what? That My first thought was wrong. Because there was a little bit of me that was like, what's going on? The Bible says love isn't about thinking evil first. The love rejoices in the truth. It always protects. Is that your first thought with your spouse? I'll do everything I can to protect them, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Do you ever think, what do I need to do to protect my spouse spiritually? That's real love. Always trust. It's your first thought of trust for your spouse. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It's committed again to the long haul. It's committed to a lifetime commitment. Love never fails. Or that could be translated, love keeps going on and on and on. You know what, friends? If you would love your spouse like this, if you'd put this log on the fire of your marriage, I guarantee you, it'll ignite. It'll be way beyond the love that you experienced even when you were dating. It'll be greater than the love that you pledged that day that you got married. One more log. And it's the log of top priority. Top priority. Listen to what Paul says back In chapter 5 of Ephesians, he says this in verse 31. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's the, using Old Testament terms, it's the leave and cleave principle that God shares with us. It's the idea that we will leave our parents, as wonderful as they are, And as wonderful as they'll continue to be, and we'll always honor them, but we're leaving our parents and we're connecting with each other. That word cleave, or the way we read it here in the New Testament, be united, has the same root as the word glue. The Bible says we're stuck with each other. Or to say it a little more appropriately, the Bible says that our intention ought to be for the two of us to stick together. In other words, I would say It's all about making our marriage relationship the top priority. The only thing in our lives that should be a higher priority, that should be more important to us than the marriage relationship if we're married, is our relationship with God. And second, only to the time and attention we would give our relationship with God ought to be the marriage relationship. And all that we ought to do 
So I want to suggest a couple of practical things here, some things that I think that you could begin to do over the course of the next couple of weeks that would help to reiterate the priority of your marriage. The first thing I want to suggest is this book called The Love Dinner. And we actually have these available this morning out at the Connection Point. Um, they're relatively inexpensive. You could buy just one as a couple. And here's what's in this book. If you've been to the movie uh, Fireproof, it's the book that they talk about on there that the guy reads if you've seen that movie. These are they're 40 days of, of shorts, and they are very short. Guys, if you're not into reading, they're very short, one or two pages. But they're just some quick insights about marriage and then a little challenge for you to do one thing for your spouse over the course of that day. And I'm pretty confident, Peg and I are excited about doing this. We've got one. We're going to use this book and we're going to start doing this tomorrow. And I want to challenge you guys. Go out there as a couple. Buy one of these books. If you can't afford them, just tell them that you can't afford it right now and take one of the books. I'd rather you have it. And I want to challenge you over the next 40 days to do this together. And I think it will help make a significant difference in your relationship. And it will help make your relationship a top priority in your lives. And so you can pick those up afterwards and encourage you to do that. If we happen to run out of them today, you can probably also buy them yourself. It will cost you a little more on Amazon or one of those places. Or just leave your name out there. We'll order some more this week at our price and have them here for you uh, next week. second thing I want to encourage you to do during to begin during the course of this series, but I hope then that you will continue if you don't already do that, and that is to date your spouse. When you got married, you didn't have to quit dating each other. So I want to encourage you, once a week, or at least once every couple of weeks, or at least once a month, go out and have a date with your spouse. Now I know immediately some of you think, well, we can't afford it, and we don't, what about child care? You know what I tell you as far as child care? If you don't have somebody to do child care, or you can't afford child care, then find another couple and swap weeks with them. One couple watch the kids one week while the other couple goes out and the next week switch places. And you know what? There are a lot of things that you can do as a date that cost virtually nothing. And I'd encourage you to find those things. In fact, we want to help you with that. So here's what we're going to do over the course of this series. We're going to have a little creative date contest. And I want you to send in your ideas, ideas that you've actually done of creative things to do on dates. Money's not the issue. It could be absolutely free or maybe it costs a little bit of money. But send in your ideas of things you could do on a creative date. You can send those to stories at crosspointcape.com. Okay? You can just email those in to me. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of those that I receive. And guys, can we get the slide up there that has those two addresses? The stories at Crosspoint Cape. Yeah, and then here's what I'm going to do with all those. Every week as those come in, I'm going to take all of those ideas and I'm going to post them on my blog jeffswearengine.wordpress.com and if you don't subscribe, well, you couldn't have subscribed, I just started it this week. Um, <laughs> so you can go on there and subscribe to that and it'll automatically send you an email every time I put a new post on there and uh, I'll just keep, we're going to put them all out there because the, the point of all this is, we're going to have some fun with it, but the point is, I want to give you some ideas because I want to encourage you to make your marriage a top priority and one of the ways that you do that is to date each other, is to spend time together without all the distractions of home life, and just communicate together. So at the end of this time, our staff will pick out what we think is the most creative date idea, and uh, whoever sent that in will give them a gift certificate for dinner for uh, them and their spouse or them and a friend if they're not married. So send in uh, those creative date ideas, and I guess you really probably 
Well, forget it. Sorry. Let's not even go down that road. So do that with me, okay? That'll be great. Somebody said this about marriage. Somebody said one time, sometimes it's diamonds. Sometimes it's dirt. Sometimes it's magic. Sometimes it's work. They were right. But I can tell you this about marriage. First of all, it matters so much to God. And if there are no other reason, we ought to do everything we can to have the best marriage just to honor Him. But secondly, I'll tell you this morning, if you'll put these three logs on the fire of your marriage relationship and you'll keep putting them there, if you'll make it all about what can I do to serve my spouse, if you'll love your spouse the way that it's described in the Bible, and if you'll keep committing that marriage is, our marriage is going to be our top priority, second only to God, then I think the marriage fire will burn brightly in your relationship. And it will bring joy and fulfillment to you. And it will honor God. And I want to encourage you. Let's do everything we can to have really healthy marriages. Well, we're coming to the end of the service here. And so I'm going to pray over you in just a moment. But I want to say to you again, like Shelley said, uh, when we end today, as we end the service, is really not the end. It's just the opportunity for you. If there's anything going on in your life, or you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, for somebody to pray with you. And so our prayer team will be down here. And just feel free to come and let them pray for you. If you don't want to tell them anything, just let them pray. You don't have to tell them a thing. Or if you want to tell them what's going on and they can pray specifically, they'd be happy to do that too. So I'm going to pray kind of a blessing over you and your marriage prayer team while I'm doing that. You'll go ahead and make your way down here so you'll be ready for people. Thanks for being here today. It's been great to worship together. Let me pray over you. God, I just thank you for what you've done through us this morning. And God, I pray that you've been honored by our worship. And God, I want to pray a blessing on the marriages of Crosspoint. God, would you take us from where we are right now And God, would you just increase the effectiveness and the beauty of our marriages? Would you increase the depth of them? God, would you make them all that you desire them to be? Where there is brokenness in marriage today, I pray that God, through these next few weeks, you would bring incredible healing, not by my words, God, but through the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be blessed and see you next week.